Cheers, guys. Cheers. And the three coins. To a variety of very interesting cases. Every case is unique. Well, this comes out of the context. You're going to lead with this. I'm going to lead on this because it's a topic near and dear to my heart. So yeah. We just finished a, a Superior Court trial this week on a sex assault arising out of a divorce um, where we actually called expert evidence of the accused, who was her client, a man, uh, being abused in the marriage. So akin to the battered wife syndrome, it was the battered husband syndrome. And we'll talk about that at a later date. But it was the intersection between family law and criminal law that brings us to this. Right. So family law, we've noticed a really disturbing trend. It's, it's and basically... you have a lot of experience in family law. I've done a bit of family law, so I've had some firsthand experience that family law recently is being weaponized, weaponized and used in the criminal system. And we're slowly learning how to respond to that by getting the documents from the family law cases. But another disturbing trend that, and we'll get into the other topics in a minute, is a recent judgment from uh, Ontario Superior Court of Justice. It's Alualia, A-H-L-U-W-A-L-I-A. -A. It's from February 28th of 2022. And this case is disturbing. This case recognizes the tort of family law violence. Put simply that you can claim damages for a history of family law violence arising out of a relationship. And Which get, would normally be a civil case that you'd have to bring separately. Right, right. And get compensated for in the family law courts. In this case, the mother, she uh, responded, she self-represented herself and did not a bad job because uh, at the end of the day, the judge said, I'm prepared to award $150,000 in compensatory aggregated and punitive damages for the tort of family violence. And as the judge himself recognized, he said, this is a significant damage award because it's well outside of the normal boundaries of family law. This doesn't happen. So this is a, a scary trend, a major change so that's happening. So, yes. so what was at issue here in the family proceeding was property equalization, right. child support, spousal support, and the mother's claim for damages for the father's alleged abuse during the marriage and she recognized in this proceeding a rationale for the tort of family violence. Right. So talk a little bit more about what that actually means. So because previously, if you wanted to claim damages for domestic violence or sexual assault, you could. There's always been a tort for battery or sexual assault, right. and you could bring a claim, a separate claim, and then that would be litigated on a balance of probabilities in the civil system. And they'd be right. looking solely at the claims of the violence right. as they'd opposed be looking to looking solely at the bigger at picture of the, right. the separation. Well, but this has now brought it in because it's the tort of family violence. So what is right. this, explain this a little bit more. What does this really mean? So this means that in the context of a family law case, any history of... Claimed history. Claimed, and that's the key yeah. thing. It's alleged history, not convictions, not um, any sort of proven history. These are allegations. And in this case, the judge basically said, yeah, I accept your, your, your evidence that uh, there's there's been a history here, as you claim, claim of family violence. So it, it, it brings in a very discreet issue, as you said, of damages and takes it into account into the whole family law settlement. So that means Spousal, so it's now lumped in with spousal support, child support, and now we've got damages awards being made, which is unheard of in these types of cases. So let's let's just distill this for one moment, because these are the findings of the judge. 
So this is one of those rare circumstances where the common law should recognize a new foundation for liability for family violence. I come to this conclusion based on the existing law related to spousal battery, mm -hmm. explicit recognition of the harms associated with family violence in the Divorce Act, recent provincial legislation that removes other legal barriers facing survivors leaving violent relationships, developments in the American case law, and Canada's international obligations to women's equality. Now, all this is to say domestic violence is real, mm -hmm. domestic violence is harmful, and it causes lasting trauma to whoever is the recipient of it. Absolutely. Yeah, no dispute. But what we have been speaking about for now a couple of years on this podcast is how you can weaponize a system and gain tremendous advantages with very little evidence. So right. well, that, that passage you read, though, that she talks, I think it's a, she, a female judge. I, I can't remember whether it was he or she. The, the judge says something about this being a new thing, Dutor, right? Yeah. So can we talk for a second about judicial activism and the separation of powers between the judicial branch, branch and the uh, legislative branch? So what you're saying now is um, here we have a judge essentially um, creating a common law liability in, in the family law sphere for family violence, as opposed to the uh, parliament or federal system where the Divorce Act is a federal act, amending the act to recognize within it a ground of damages for family violence. So that is where you have our government who are elected individuals to put a bill forward to amend an act, as opposed to a judge now concluding based upon a number of factors. And, and legitimately, it could be that family violence is recognized within the Divorce Act. And there has been some developments in the United States, and we do have international obligations related to women's equality. But what you could try and say here is the judge has created new law, and some may see this as judicial activism. Mm -hmm. And, right. it, and I, I think I've mentioned this before on Wikipedia, which is not the best source anymore for neutral information, but there, there isn't a page that's specifically just about judicial activism in Canada. It's something that we need to really pay attention to. And, you know, to what extent it's taking place is subject to dispute. But there's, we're one of the few countries that has a devoted page to the concerns about judicial activism in Canada. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of different ways that law can be changed by judges. One is they create common law. The right. other is they change the way they interpret the law. Right. Now, let's, let's be fair, though. The judge did rely on other case law and other developments in other jurisdictions. And a, a recent example in a case in Ontario, Montgomery, where Justice Healy awarded the mother 75000 in damages for inter-spousal tort of assault case involved a 14-year marriage characterized by physical and emotional abuse. In that case, the judge found that the most significant aggravating factor was the flagrant breach of trust, but the judges could also consider the nature of the overall oppression and aggravating post-incident conduct, etc. So that was another case which was relied upon. So it's, let's, let's not just say this judge acted on, on, yeah. on their own. No, you yeah. can see the thickness of the Yeah, decision. no, it's, it's a well-reasoned, so, well-written judgment yes. citing a number of cases. Well, but this is the thing with family court judgments. They tend to be this big because they're so convoluted and there's, it's so, 
in, in my takeaway quite often is just like, how did these people stay together for so long? It's, it's unbelievable that that, that people well, could... Well, as you dis we and I discussed, used to be for the sake of the children. <laughs> let's stay, the let's stay together and well, get each there, other's there guts. Well, there can be all... There can but be this all. is but important. This is important because a lot, of, a lot of people who end up being charged... <coughs> It has to do with their devotion to trying to maintain contact with their children. Right. But let, let's let's read the test. This is the new test now. That all being said, this is at paragraph 55. To establish family violence, the plaintiff will have to plead and prove on a balance of probabilities that a family member engaged in a pattern of conduct that included more than one incident of physical abuse forcible confinement, sexual abuse, threats, harassment, stalking, failure to provide the necessities of life, psychological abuse, financial abuse, killing or harming an animal or property. It will be insufficient to point to an unhappy or dysfunctional relationship I as just a got basis. So aggravated. When, as soon as you said financial abuse, because right. I know that usually that, that phrase is used to describe um, to describe a person who has no income on their own and so they're subject to the person who has the income mm -hmm. doling out small amounts of money right. or cutting them off from finances right. but there's another kind of financial abuse that I've seen which is where one spouse overspends right. and causes the other person to not be able to stop working and puts them into debt right. and causes right. them extreme stress the flip side <clears throat> so a lot of these phrases they're used specifically to describe alleged abuse against women and it's supposed to be a crime that's primarily committed against women. But when you get into these subtle things like financial abuse, right. they're opening it up because, you know what I used to do? I, I know so many men who've been subjected to coercive control, right. financial abuse, things like that. And, and we've seen a bill that was attempted to be passed where one of the concerns with the bill expressed by feminists was that women could end up being charged under this new legislation. Right, and we, we frame this a little bit because we just finished this trial this week. We don't have a decision yet. I know. Where we, we, where we had an individual who we actually did believe um, was subjected to manipulation, course of control. We just believe it, there's a lot of evidence of it. Right, um, and, and we got the person assessed and there was uh, a lot of evidence that we were able to gather through messages uh, to look at as source collateral information to establish that this abuse of control existed, some of which was financial abuse mm -hmm. on the male. And we'll see what the court does with respect to recognizing this injury and this, this actual issue in the case. But what's great is we actually got to call the evidence. I know, and why, do you remember? Justice Liharota Bay. Right. She had written in a, in a, a Supreme Court decision that um, she recognized that women weren't necessarily the only victims of uh, battered spouse syndrome, but that if a man was claiming to be in that situation, it would almost always require expert evidence. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so poorly understood and po poorly reported. Not because it's so rare, understood. it's just right. poorly understood. That's poorly understood. Right. And, and in this case, what's interesting also is the judge was cautioning about the same stereotype reasoning that's used to assess domestic or sexual violence in the criminal context. So the judge was talking about, again, analysis under existing in intentional torts creates a risk that detriers of fact will miss the relevant social context and engage in stereotypical reasoning about the proper component and behaviors of survivors when assessing credibility. For example, they might speculate as to why a survivor of family violence would stay in an abusive relationship or fail to complain to police. Now, using the, the term survivor bothers me 
but we see the same issue here with respect to how they're saying within the, the family law context, they're better able to understand the uh, social and um, relevant uh, factors at play than if you would in a separate action. Of course, though, however, um, family law cases are already now sometimes incredibly complex, incre incredibly long, take two, three, four, five, six years, maybe even longer, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're going to now have to have medical evidence, experts called, and you're going to turn this into an extremely expensive system uh, where it can be ripe for abuse. And I always thought that the idea of having a separate action and tort specifically focused on that would have a much cleaner trial, which a much cleaner focus, a bit devoid of this other context, which they want to talk about, because that can cloud the truth-finding process, in my opinion. Yeah, and there's a lot of emotion, right? Okay, so we, unbelievable. We've talked about this because I have, through my nonprofit, get contacted by a lot of people um, that are struggling in the family court mm -hmm. system. They're not criminally charged yet, yeah. necessarily, but, and and I said to you, I, I have trouble getting involved with them because it drives people crazy, right? And so then when we look at the combination, where uh, as a result of the the separation in the family court argument, somebody gets criminally charged. Mm -hmm. It becomes, I find, really difficult to get people focused on the criminal charges because they're so obsessed right. and so angry about what's happening in the family, family court, law side. Uh, the family law side, that they can't focus and understand the seriousness of the criminal side. Right. Can we talk about that a little bit? Well, we were talking about the playbook, right? Yeah. The playbook. How this, th how these things all start. You know, the relationship goes bad. How do you get the guy, typically, the guy out of the house? You 911 him. He's out of the house. What do you do in the next week's following? You get your family lawyer. You're getting your motion for, you know, child support, interim spousal support. Exclusive you know, possession of the home. Exclusive possession of the home. You know, and you're playing games like with the potential client we saw the other day where access is being doled out as the parents deems fit, right? Or so denied. All, or denied. And then it turns into a whole playbook. And so now we've got... The criminal system, family law system, weaponizing the criminal system, and then it's it's like a playbook, like you described. You've you've seen those online. You said, yeah, it's just it's just a an entire path to insanity. Right. Well, let's talk for a moment now that we know that this is recognized law. Right. So I think it's important for us to talk, have talked about it, so that we all recognize that it's there, and this will play out in the family system. And frankly, family lawyers will have to become very adept at now learning how to cross-examine on right. these issues without getting into myth-based reasoning and learning how to right. to basically right. become a criminal lawyer in a family context. Right. But but from our point of view, for the last 20 years in... Um, is my hair f***ed up or something? Thanks, honey. It's because he's had Thank a long you, day. In, in the family, you know, we I have used and Thank worked you, very Marcy. closely... <laughs> Thank you, honey. Thank worked you. very closely with with family lawyers where there is charges arising from a high conflict divorce, for example, and have worked in tandem with the family lawyers. And there's an incredible richness of information that comes from oh, yeah. family court documents to cross-examine on. But also it's very important for another reason, because in the family courts, they have to file affidavits. And so this so is... So let's explain what, what materials are filed in a family court that then can be of, of great value to a, a defense lawyer. And then two, why is it important to get out front 
on the family side and the criminal side all at the same time. And have coordination between the... Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about what, what, what happens in a family Let's start proceeding. with the application. So an application is made for divorce. In that application, the person who's starting the process is setting out claims he or she is making. And it's very interesting to actually look at those claims because because sometimes they're not based in fact or reality. I had a case recently where the the woman had claimed damages now for therapy, for medical expenses on the family law side. On the criminal law side, I was cross-examining her at trial. I said, so how much have you spent on therapists? Nothing. How many therapists have you seen? None. And then I took her to the family law document. Well, you're making a claim for thousands of dollars for expenses that haven't occurred and probably will never occur. Isn't that right? And she was like, mm, well, mm. yeah. So it's critical to study what's being claimed. Yeah, so that's incredibly interesting. Let's just talk about the application for one second because it's a legal document. Yes. It's filed in court. It Pu lays public, out yeah. It lays out all the factors in which you're relying upon and what you're claiming. So you'd be claiming for support, right. uh, you know, Child support. distribution of assets, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yes. But you'll lay out what your grievances are right. and then what you're claiming. And then you sign it. And it's dated and signed. And there's a supporting affidavit. You have an affidavit. So you've got now... Explain that for a second so everybody understands. So when, when you file your family law application, your divorce application, you typically file supporting affidavits, which set out the history you're claiming. What are you saying happened under oath? So that's a sworn document now, a public sworn document that we get access to if we're working in tandem with the family lawyer, which is critical, as you said, to do this together so we know exactly what's going on on the family law side because there can be contradictions that are key as in my case that I just described. It's a perfect example. So you've got this application that's dated and signed Sign, by, yeah. by the person. So this could right. be the complainant. And then there's an affidavit typically that follows. Yeah. And in other documents like other affidavits and there can be motions for let's say I, there's an interim motion for sole custody of the children. And Exclusive then an possession, as you said. There's or an separation affidavit. separation agreements too, if it's not a full marriage. Later, later right. on, no, it's, it's still a full oath. marriage. Right. You still have a full marriage. Well, I'm thinking about a, a specific case that we worked on. Right, but just so we get the terminology. Used. <laughs> Thank you, but but so long as you get the terminology correct, you still have a separation agreement when you're when you're married right. and you're divorcing. You have a separation agreement, and that can be turned into a final settlement agreement. All of these are incredibly important. All of them contain allegations. All of them rely on sometimes uh, criminal allegations. And there's so many contradictions, so many exaggerations, right. so much bullshit in there that you can have an incredible amount of time. And sometimes falsified marriage certificates. Right. <laughs> and the added We had that in a case where the complainant, they weren't legally married, went to the extreme to falsify a marriage, mm -hmm. which we caught. And then, when it was determined that it was a, a falsified marriage certificate, refused to grant it, tried to, tried to refuse an annulment. Of the, the false marriage. Of the, the false, false marriage. marriage. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so talk for a moment about... And this all, but, but you brilliantly used that in, in the criminal process. Right. And that's key. And I, had, and I was working with an excellent family lawyer where we worked in absolute tandem. And you have, and at the same time, the flip side of that is we have to protect our client and be very careful what he or she is putting in their family law materials. We don't want to get boxed in, or we don't want them to get boxed in in their family law context because then they are providing an affidavit. They're providing their story. So sometimes it's also helpful that we they, they not provide that. So let's say a client comes to you. They've just been charged. They're just separating from their spouse, male or female. 
and they're charged with a series of domestic violence, throw in a sexual assault. And they come to you and they say, okay, I need representation. What do you talk about with respect to the family case? Do you talk about it at the meeting? How do you handle that? I tell them it's critical we refer them to a family lawyer that we're, we know, that we're comfortable working with, and that's going to work in tandem with us because the documents that get generated are critical in the end. We need to know what our client is saying in those family law documents. We need to have conversations with his or her family lawyer to say, look, we got to work in tandem. We got to make sure the narrative, the story, whatever you want to call it, comes out consistently. We don't want two inconsistent stories in two different court systems because that'll only hurt us. It can help us if it's the other side's inconsistencies. Right, but but on our end, it could be deadly. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's oh, done improperly. It's very similar to giving yeah. a police statement before right. you really know it is because the case it is. is. Because when you sign that document, I can't tell you how many complainants I've cross-examined on their application or on their reply, which is the flip side of it. You reply right. to it, the response. And they've said, well, that was my lawyer. I go, well, That's you signed right. each you page. You signed it. That's right. They you do signed that. each page. They do that a lot. That's your signature. It's dated. You tell them you didn't read it. You're just re- like, it's just, it goes nowhere. And my and, family lawyer told me to sign this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Under oath. Yeah, except it. all this information didn't come. Your family lawyer didn't dream this up. That's right. Right. It came from somewhere. So first stage then is when they walk in to say, look, if you don't have a family lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to need one. Right. And we have a number of lawyers that we work with we'd like to refer right. you to because they're familiar how to work with a case where there's criminal and civil right. it, you know, family law issues. Mm-hmm. So that's critical. Once that's done, let's say they do that, then the next stage is what? In terms of the family law? Well, to work with the other lawyer and to re- ask for doc- draft documents to well, be sent to us, for example. Sorry? There's a determination sometimes whether or not they should, you know, put off the family stuff until the criminal stuff is resolved. Sometimes, you know, we've had the family court stuff resolved and mm-hmm. it's assisted with the criminal thing. So that's why it's so important to have that communication. Communication is key, but it's also sometimes difficult because there's deadlines for responses. So it's hard for us to tell a client, don't don't make don't put in an answer just yet because there's rules. In so you know law. there may be an issue about you know do I start the divorce now? Do right. I respond to it right now? How do I right. deal with it? But then there can be issues like there's children children involved. Right. There's parental alienation going on. So you have to respond. And then in some right. cases, you know we've said you know what this should proceed, right. and you should go to a discovery. And we just sit back there and work with the family lawyer. Right. And what what's a discovery well, in a family in, case? In a family law context, that's when the family lawyer, both family lawyers get the opportunity to examine each other's clients under oath. So it's great for us because it's almost like a first kick at the can at seeing their potential evidence, A, and B, it sets up some great inconsistencies if they say something different under oath at trial. So it's Can we use a, a discovery transcript from a family court case to cross-examine a complainant in a criminal case? Yes, we do it all the time. I know. And it's great because the inconsistencies are hilarious. So, you know, we had that one case we were talking about where we specifically orchestrated for that case to proceed. Which issues to cross-examine on? And we all talked about what issues to cross-examine on in the discovery and then we took that discovery transcript and it was almost like having a preliminary inquiry we were able to rely on it for cross-examination and then the case we just did uh, this week it was just funny the complaint i was thinking about that earlier yeah there was a separation agreement because we had worked got him over to a family lawyer and um guided that process along and then we were involved in when they were settling but but the separation agreement was wonderful because um the complainant who you know allegedly you know was not financially motivated in the separation agreement it said and at the time that this is settled and the money is transferred the male 
husband shall pick up from the uh, complainant or, and whatever they call it. The she'll transfer. Respond. Transfer a, a number of documents that are in her possession. And the nature of the documents is stunning. It's stunning. So <laughs> and she held like, on to these for over a year. Right. So there's, you know, all his job-related applications and papers. Passports, right? His T4 slips. All, all his immigration, application, permanent status, his f***ing citizenship card. Yeah. All his uh, tax returns, his notice of assessments, gone. Um, his, his diploma. Yeah, I mean, his, yeah, his, not a law degree. His, uh, his university degree. Yeah. His she, university she wanted some mementos. It was it was it was literally trying to paralyze. And she refused to return them until the separation agreement was finished. It took over a year. He didn't even have, have his own immigration papers. All of this was all held not hostage. Even his, not even his degree. Not even his. Uh, oh, and took the t and, and she was residing at his home. They were married, so he put her on title. But she, when she moved to her brother's place, she changed the address for the tax notice to her brother's home so that she'd know what the taxes were on. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was incredible. And this happened within a day of when they separated, uh, three weeks before she went to the police. Mm -hmm. And it was just amazing because it was just such a wonderful... It was it was so delicious to cross-examine on because you just knew, like, it was just... I just... I, there was no, no way I could have... Was there was no way I could have f***ed up that cross-examination because right. I was just saying to her, you know, when you went to the police and you gave your statement, um, you told the officers that you left in a rush because you had to flee for your safety and you took some of your own documents and your clothing. Is that correct? Yes. Did you tell the officer anything you took from that belonged to my client? It was an even better moment, but finish. And, and she goes, I, 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 no, why would I do that? Well, do you remember taking anything from my client? <laughs> remember? So somebody had G messages. Giggle, giggle. He switched, he swapped keys with her because he needed a, a fob on her key. Well, it, he took it. Yeah. So To go deliver food to her brother's house when I he's know. sick. I know. So she's doing, he's doing her a favor and he swapped their keys so that he could do the favor easier. Mm -hmm. She goes, you're so entitled. And In she's a message. Like, what the f***? What, what the f***? WTF. She corrected you. <laughs> yeah. um, he's like, what the f***? And he's just like... Um, that is not your property or something like that. It's like, you have no right to my property. What gives you the right to think that everything belongs to yours? That's not your property. You have no right to this property. You didn't even ask my permission of it. How dare you do this? You can't just take other people's property. And then you say... Well, did that apply to the documents you stole from my client? Yeah. <laughs> she was, it was like, she couldn't... She was. It was so bad. She just stepped into sh everywhere she went and it was so much fun yeah but it just but here's the wealth and this is where it's it was a carefully orchestrated defense and family law case where we knew we were going in tandem working in the right direction because we knew what the f play was here we knew what was going on right and this complainant couldn't but help themselves because they were just a greedy lying individual yeah it was it was interesting because most of this case was what could be seen as sort of <coughs> narrative evidence. Right. But it became highly relevant because the entire narrative behind the accusations was that our client became extremely controlling with a specific cultural mindset about ownership over women. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that was, was the premise. That was underlying yeah. the claim that she should be believed. Exactly. On the sex assault allegations. That, yeah. that, that was the impetus for the sex assault. Yeah. And then all the external evidence, not just our client's testimony, but all the external evidence showed 
that he was the one who was being abused. He was the one being controlled. He was walking on eggshells. He was, he was passive. He was apologizing. He was, remember, do you remember? Would, would you agree that, you know, my client was passive? She looks all confused. Passive? What do you mean by passive? Yeah. You have a university degree in social work. But what do you mean by <laughs> passive? You don't, you don't know what passive means? And then you didn't have to explain what it meant. She ultimately agreed that, yeah, okay, he's passive. This is what we deal with, right? Yeah. But it, 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 it underscores the importance that when a client approaches a criminal lawyer coming out of a divorce or a relationship where you have to deal either in the civil context or the family law context, that there has to be a coordinated effort and that the material that you get from the family law system, or in one of those cases, we had the civil process as well, right, yeah. it is incredibly important. And, you know, it's not inexpensive. It's expensive to do this, but it, it God willing, gets you to the right direction and to the right place. And when you don't do it properly, it can be devastating. What was it you say? This is a marathon, not a race, no, a sprint. Not a sprint. I mean, you know, so many people come in and they say, well, you know, how soon can we get this right, over? And right. I'm like, yeah. you know, A, you're looking at three to five years if God forbid, God forbid convicted. This is a, a long process. So I say it's a marathon, not a sprint. You've got to pace yourself and you've got to find things that, to, you know, to get yourself and go to work, exercise. Well, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. That's what we said the other night to a potential. So focus I know, on you now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and we made the point too, is like in terms of the time, it's like you need that time right. because... He was so angry and so right. focused on things that aren't relevant to the criminal charges, just focused on things that annoyed right. him about the marriage. It was like, be happy you have this time because you need to you need to work through, work through it. Your stress, work through your depression, yeah. your anger, whatever it is. You're that's not going ready on for a you. criminal trial, right? Exactly. It's 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 a hard process, but I mean, I think we've I've said this before. It's on our website. We try and explain it to clients, but. But especially for those that have charges coming out of a long-term relationship or divorce, there has to be a coordinated approach to deal with this. Otherwise, it can lead really to, to, to problems and, and to convictions. And when it's done well, it turns into a, a fantastic cross-examination. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and thank an you. But, and an acquittal. Well, we, again, we, these are all judge decisions, well, so we have to. Yeah, we've had tons of them. There's one we're still waiting for. Right. There's one or two we're still waiting for, but it's uh, and it's and you know what? It, it also it, it's sad because when you yeah. when you cut through all of this, um, aside from us doing our job properly and finally winning, you know, there's there's damage to everybody. It's and emotion. Our client, it's the emotion. money that they spend, the emotional trauma, and everything else, and it's a shame that this is the way things have to play and out. And what I always say is, like, as, as, as much as quite often the man is hurting, because it's usually the female who gets custody and, and the man's cut off when that happens. Yep. <coughs> that, um, but not always. We've had female clients who are in that situation. The biggest loser is the children. Of course. Chil children are weaponized. Fortunately, in this case, children weren't weaponized, but yeah. because they didn't have any. Yeah. But there's that other one we're waiting for a decision on where it was very clear. And all that money spent in the, the civil and the family mm -hmm. court and the criminal procedures, that could all have gone to the children. Of course. And in the meantime, the children are denied access to one of their parents. This is just so sad to me. So the takeaway then is, if there's a family law element to it, always hook up the client with a family lawyer that we trust. And g get out in front. Right. Get out in right. front of this and don't let it just happen. Right. And don't act impulsive, you know, like... The uh, you know what, that's enough. We're going to drone on for one more second. Yeah. It's so important, and we try and get this across, and it's hard. Don't act impulsively. Oh, yeah. 
because that can undermine what you want to do. It's an emotional time. Emotions aren't going to help you. Guys, good discussion. Thank you. Until next time, like, share, subscribe, click notification. That Have I got them all right? You got them all. That's the first time in, I think, two years or two and a half years I actually wow. got that right. Cheers Please to me. Yeah. Right. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you for viewing.